should be behind me too. All right. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good. You will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue Revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does, not, does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. All right, I'm going to pray for you, Rich. Lord God, you are good, you are amazing, um, regardless of the future, uh, we know that there is victory in Christ, and so Lord, I just ask that you would encourage us through the passage today, that you would speak through rich and powerful way, and that ultimately we would walk away just realizing that our citizenship is with you in heaven, and that uh, we have a heavenly Father who loves us, so bless this time, Lord, encourage our hearts, pray these things in Jesus' name. Good morning, everyone. Um, so yeah, we um, uh, we knew that th- that this week we were going to be off. We we always try to preach the same thing as Columbia preaches, and this week they have a special guest. Um, the theology conference um, was this weekend, and so um, and so Dr. Schreiner uh, from Southern Baptist Theological Seminary is preaching there this Sunday morning, and he wasn't going to be on the Ephesians um, series, so we took a week off. And I saw that this date was coming um, for a few weeks, and I saw that I was scheduled for it. And, and so I, I thought that um, um, with the, the, the tenor that we've seen, not only in the world, but in the church, um, and the church-wide, um, and even in, in our own church um, over the last few weeks, I thought that um, talking about the election a little this morning um, would be something um, that would be good for our um, relationships with God and our relationships um, with each other. Now, usually we use the word election in church. Um, that's controversial because we're talking about how God elects his children, and, and yeah, that can be controversial, um, but this is also um, controversial. Um, you've, um, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure you've noticed um, that we're having kind of an unprecedented, uh, unprecedented presidential election this year, and that um, the 
two least popular candidates ever, um, ever since at least such things were being measured, um, are, are running for the presidency, both with, with flaws that call into question their trustworthiness um, and their fitness for, uh, for office, especially the highest office in our country. Christians across the political spectrum have had to deal with the fact that while they want to vote for a candidate who best reflects their values, um, they don't believe that either Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump meet that standard. Some will find their preferred candidate an acceptable choice, um, despite their flaws. There are people here like, God, that's the candidate I like, and that's the one I want. Um, others um, have really just kind of tried to negotiate a compromise with themselves, um, fixing on some political issue or issues um, that will allow them to overcome their personal distaste for the, um, for the person uh, that they'll be voting for. Others have just decided to refuse to vote for either candidate, choosing a third party, a write-in, or, or just skipping the presidential vote altogether. Um, understand that I, I believe that you can be, I think we have, that we have freedom to vote for or not vote for anybody we choose to. Um, and so um, if you have reached well, you know, one of those decisions or you're still sweating it out, um, you've got a day or a couple days, uh, figure it out. Um, but um, but that's what choice that you're going to make on Tuesday is not necessarily um, what I'm talking about today. Um, come Tuesday night, at least we hope come Tuesday night, um, either Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump will be our next president. Some people are going to be really happy by that result. Some are going to just have this sense of, uh, okay, that's, that's better than the alternative. Others are going to be dismayed. Some will be scared. And some are going to be full-on angry that whoever wins is going to be our next president. Many, including Christians, including us, um, will never allow their hatred, and I don't think that's too strong a word, uh, their hatred of whoever wins, um, they'll never let that go. They will uh, harbor constant ill will towards the new president throughout his or her term, as well as harbor ill will and contempt towards those who voted for the new president. Uh, many, including Christians, will allow this hatred to either become contempt for the government um, or strengthen a contempt for the government that they already had. But this should not be true of us. For whoever is elected to be the next president, and you know, lest we forget... Um, the next governor, the next attorney general, the next secretary of state, and so on and so on. Um, whoever those people are, um, whoever the next president is, is exactly the person that God has in his wisdom decided will be the next president. And because that is true, this should affect how we react to the results of this election, um, how we should react to the new president, um, how we should react to our brothers and sisters as well as our neighbors, and how we should react to the God who has made this decision. Because God is sovereign over this election, how we as Christians respond to the election will reflect our trust in him. Because God is sovereign over this election, how we as Christians respond to the election will reflect our trust in him. So very first point um, to support that is one, God is sovereign over elections. Um, verse 1 in our past day, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, 
and those that exist have been instituted by God. Um, God, there is government because God said there is government. Um, and that doesn't just mean that there is government that does what we want or that there's government that upholds what we think the world should be like, and that's because of God, and that governments that don't do those things aren't from God. That's not true. Paul, uh, when he wrote this letter, he's living in a time when the government wouldn't what we would call the ideal government for a Christian worldview. Um, he lived in the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was incredibly pagan. Uh, it was filled with the worship of false gods and idols, had a relatively loose sexual code, it, at least for men. Women were expected to remain chaste, but, um, but men of privilege, men of, of, of high ranking were, were basically free to indulge um, sexually and however they wanted. Um, there's incredible disparity of wealth and privilege. The high class lived high and the lower classes were oppressed. Um, there was harsh slavery. There were indulgence in all sorts of worldly pleasures. These were not, uh, th these people were religious in that they worshipped anything and everything that they thought would make their lives better. Um, but, they, um, but they were not in any way what we call a godly um, culture. That is the government that Paul writes these words in. That is the government that God says, this government has been instituted by God. This was a government that had already started to persecute church a little bit at this point. Um, at the time Paul wrote this, um, a few years prior to that, the emperor, uh, who at that time was Claudius, expelled all the Jews um, from Rome because of conflicts between Jewish Christians and non-Christian Jews. So all the, all the Jewish Christians, which were at, at that point basically, um, you know, at least half the Christians or at least a good chunk of the Christians in Rome were, were, were banished uh, by the emperor. The emperor that Paul says um, was instituted by God. Um, the Christians did return a few years when Nero uh, became the emperor, but just a few years after Paul wrote this letter, Nero started harshly persecuting Christians. The government that harshly persecuted Christians is a government that God says was instituted by him. Um, seemingly a government that has nothing that it wants, wants nothing to do with the things of God, wants nothing to do to even acknowledge God, was instituted by him. And the same is true of us. Um, we have a government, whether our officials, whether the people running for president want to acknowledge it or not, um, that exists because God has instituted it. Um, whatever decisions they make are made because God has placed them in the position to make them. And it's not just the system of government. It says the government is instituted, um, God, but, it, but the specific people who operate in that go government are there because um, God is sovereign over it. Uh, verse 2, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, uh, and those who resist will incur judgment. God has appointed appointed those who were in authority. It's not just the existence of the government, but the specific people. Um, the word used there for, for um, appointed is ordained. And when we talk about um, being ordained in the church, we, we, we're talking about God has made a decision for this thing to be so. Um, whoever wins the presidential election on Tuesday will win, ultimately, because God has appointed that person to lead the country at this time. If Donald Trump wins... God appointed it. If Hillary Clinton wins, God appointed it. 
that does not mean that the presidency of either candidate will be godly or that the candidacy of yeah, that the presidency of either candidate will explicitly honor God. And I think um, we have good reason to believe that whoever wins, that it probably won't. But God uses the ungodly for his purposes, even if those good purposes aren't what we think of as good. The Bible repeatedly tells of God appointing godless leaders uh, to, to different nations. Um, for the purpose of exercising his judgment. The Bible repeatedly tells us that God even did that, that he would raise up leaders from other countries to come and punish his own people. The Israelites were constantly punished by the Philistines, and then later by the Assyrians, and later by the Babylonians. All of these were led by people who were not godly. They were not God, but God chose them and appointed them for the purpose of carrying out his will in the running of the governments of those countries, the running of the governments of his country, his nation of Israel, his people, he appointed not only non-Christians, but he appointed wicked men um, to, to exercise his judgment um, over his nation. His wrath over nations. God calls this thing his wrath, his judgment. He calls it righteous. It is a good thing. Um, it is a right thing. Romans 2.5 um, tells us this, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. God exercising his wrath on, on, on whomever he chooses, his judgment on whoever he chooses is a good thing. That's hard to hear. That's not something we typically want to hear hear about God, but it's good. It's good that God punishes wicked people, that God may decide to appoint um, a, a president to lead a country into judgment. I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm saying it can happen, and God will do what he will do because his purposes are good. God may use one of these presidents, uh, presidential candidates to be the president, to, to actually lead us to a place of, of prosperity, of, of spiritual rebirth. I, I don't know. Um, we don't know why he appoints, who he appoints, but we do know that he does it. And he does it because whom he appoints represents his will. Whom God appoints president. Whoever wins on Tuesday is there to exercise the will of God. Um, verse 2. Um, talks about he will judge those who resist the government. Um, why will he do that? Because the government is there to do something that he deems good. Um, he calls those in the government his servants. Whoever is elected the president on Tuesday will be a servant of God, wittingly or unwittingly, um, for, for what appear to be godly purposes or what appear to be ungodly purposes. They will be serving him. So um, even when government or certain leaders are personally ungodly or even support ungodly policies, the government still does many things that are good and essential for our lives. Um, the main one spoken here in the first five verses um, is the creation and enforcement of laws. Even, even bad politicians will pass good laws that help us live a life and maintain an, of relative order and safety um, and preserves things that are good for us. Just your ability to get here this morning, 
you drove somewhere probably between 5 and 15, 20, uh, some people from California, 30, I don't know, however far it is, minutes to get here this morning, right? Okay, here are some things that, that occurred because there was a government to help you get here for this morning. First of all, as you walk outside, you didn't choke on a cloud of toxic, toxic gas from the smelting factory next door to your house because we have zoning laws and we have environmental regulations. Your house wouldn't be there. Um, you drove here, I'm assuming you all didn't go off-roading over hills and valleys that you actually used roads. Um, those roads were built and maintained by the government, even the ones that have a few potholes or things like that. There's, that's still better than not the road. They, they maintain the roads that you drove on. Um, and not only did you know how to drive on the road so that you weren't constantly getting crashed into it by other people, because we also have a government that, that, that created and maintained traffic laws and signals, and even the lines on the road are a work of government to make sure that everybody is doing the same thing to keep us safe and roads and help us to get where we're going. You had relatively affordable gas, uh, in part, not entirely, but in part, because well-maintained transportation infrastructure, we have railways, and we have pipelines, and we have um, interstates and things like that that helped get stuff there so that we can afford it and that we didn't need to, like, pay 10 to $15 a gallon because there was no way to get the gas here. Um, if you had breakfast this morning, you had a certain level of safety from illness or injury due to things like health inspections and food standards. Um, these and a thousand other things governments do that you don't really think about um, at all for the most part are good things because they protect us all. Um, the people of our cities, our state, and our country, they promote what we call a general good. Um, they are a thing that we call in the church common grace, a thing that God gives for the good of everybody he's created. Um, God has given good things even to everybody, and one of those good things that he does is a government that maintains order. Um, that is a good thing. So regardless of how godly you find the candidates or how godly you find your proposed policies, our next president and our next governor, Attorney General, so on and so forth, um, are going to preside over a government that has many, many things that God has appointed for our good. Our government, and therefore our next president, represents the will of God. Um, so we see that God is indeed sovereign over the institution of government and the appointment of the people um, in the government. He is sovereign, because those things are true, because he's sovereign over the, over the government, he by necessity is sovereign over the election. Whoever is going to win the presidential election on Tuesday is going to win because God has ordained it. Yes, even this election is, was, is ordained by God. Okay, because that is true, because God is sober, sovereign over ele uh, elections, how we as Christians respond to this election will reflect our trust in him. If he is in control and we really believe that he is in control, we will trust him and our lives will reflect that we trust him in that. And he tells us, here are some ways that I want you to trust me when it comes to your government. Um, the first thing we see is that we willingly submit to government whenever possible. We willingly submit to government whenever possible. Don't think whenever possible is like a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's a very narrow category. I'm going to talk about that later. Um, but um, but so, we all, we, so we, I'll put it this way. We almost always willingly submit to government. And we see this repeatedly throughout um, the first uh, seven verses. Verse one says, to be subject 
to the governing authorities. Um, verse 2, don't resist to the governing authorities. Verse 3, do what is good according to the governing authorities. Verse 5, be in subjection to the government authorities. Some of these are words that we as Christians should be used to, but that still when it comes to government go, whoa, I don't like that word. I don't like to think of myself as subject um, to the government. That, that is what God calls us to. If we trust him and he has ordained the government, we should be willing to submit um, to that. So how do we do that? How do we submit to um, our government leaders, which includes our new president? Well, um, first thing is we obey the law as best we can. Um, we do good and not wrong. You see in verses 3 and 4, um, for rulers are a terror to good conduct, not to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. Um, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you, are, if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. God ordains government to pass laws to restrain bad conduct and promote good conduct. I, I, for those who don't know, I practice criminal law. I represent the state, um, and I spend my days trying to um, keep those in jail who could not live by the laws that promote good conduct and, um, and try to restrain bad conduct. Um, we have lots of laws um, that punish certain activities, that protect your rights um, to life and to property and things like that. When, when somebody violates those rights, the law protects. Um, it punishes um, the wrongdoer. Um, now, it talks about not resisting what the government has done. Um, they, they pass these laws. Um, we don't get to decide if we can resist a law or not for the most part. Um, we, don't, we don't push the law. We don't go, it says 55, but it's really 62. Okay, okay. Um, you know, we, we don't get to say, well, you know, well, stealing, not really stealing if it's, if I really, really needed it. Um, or if I remember from the movie Guardians of the Galaxy, but what if I really, really want it and they have it? Can I take it? No, it's, no, it's not like that. It's, it's, we don't get to, we don't get to go to look at the laws and go, well, but I, this, this law isn't going to work real well for me, so I got to try to find ways to not follow that law. That's not a thing we get to do. Um, there is one exception. I said there would be one exception. It's a, it, 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 in America, it's not a huge exception. It could become a bigger one. Um, but laws that force us to do things to con contrary to what God has commanded us to do are laws that we can and must resist. And I'll, when I get to the end, I'm going to talk a little bit more deeply about that. But that's a, that's, at this point, that's a really small category. For the most part, the laws that, that exist in our country, even if you disagree with them, are not unjust in a matter for your personal interpretation of whether you should choose to follow them or not. We obey the laws as best we can. Sometimes you're going to miss something. Sometimes you're going to miss a line on a tax form. But okay, as best you can. Do your best. Follow the law as best you can. So that's one thing we do. What's another thing we do? We pay taxes. Oh, man. Okay, we pay taxes, verses 6 and 7. Um, for because of this, you also pay taxes. Uh, because of this. Because of what? Because God ordained government. Um, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Um, we pay taxes. Uh, 
Paul simply repeats what Jesus um, taught while he was here. He asked, there's Caesar's on that coin. What do we do with it? We're supposed to pay taxes. Should we pay taxes? And Jesus said, Caesar, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Pay your taxes. Um, we render taxes to the government because that's the portion of the government, the, of our money that, that belongs to the government. Um, our taxes pay for government services carried out by what, is, what does Paul call them? Ministers of God. Actually, like if you go to other countries, we don't have them here. Um, we call them different. We call them things like secretaries and, 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 uh, and, and chairmen and things like that. You go to like England, um, the, the guy in charge of uh, – England has a, has a national church, so, so, so religion will, will affect what they do more. Their guy in charge of the defense, their department, defense department is the minister of defense. Um, you'll see that you've heard of a prime minister, the top minister. This comes from this, that they are ministers of God's will, um, the, the government appointment. So um, we pay taxes because God's ministers are doing the work that God has appointed them to. Our executives, our president, our governor, legislators, our government workers, police officers, firefighters, the guys who do, may, do maintenance for parks and rec, um, they're all ministers of God appointed by God to do the work um, that God has appointed for them. So we pay all we owe. We don't have to pay more than we owe. Um, the, the law says you owe this much, owe that much. Don't, the, you know, you don't, you don't have to go, well, I feel really bad about taking a deduction. No, you can take your deductions. That's fine. Pay what you owe, but pay what you owe. We don't cheat. We don't hold back. We don't take payment under the table. We pay our taxes, and we don't resent it. We don't resent it. Um, we talk about when we give to God, we give cheerfully. Um, that might seem like a high bar, and it doesn't especially say give your taxes cheerfully, but give them without resentment. Um, do what you're doing because God has said to do them, just like we obey other things that God tells us to do because God said it and we want to please God. Paying your taxes is one of those things. Um, how else do we willingly submit to the government? We show respect and honor, verse 7. Um, says it pays what is owed to them, and then the last two are respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed, and this is where I feel like I'm going to lose the room. Like, okay, Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton are going to be the president, and you have to honor and respect them. Wow. You say, I can't do that. I just can't do that. I can't respect him. I can't respect her. She's corrupt. He, he's terrible to everybody. They're both really selfish. I can't respect them. The Bible says, yes, you can. 1 Peter 2.17 says this, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Now, as I already said earlier, the emperor at this time was Nero. I don't know how much you know about your world history, um, about who Nero was. Here is a little bit of the life highlights of Nero by the time that Peter writes the letter where he says to honor this emperor. Um, Nero had taken up with a slave mistress, even though he was married, then dumped her for yet another woman. He murdered political foes, including his own mother. So one, he killed his own mother, and two, his, mo his own mother had gotten to the point where she was a political foe plotting to get somebody else to be the emperor instead of him. Wow, okay, that's not, that's not a ringing endorsement. When your own mom says, not you, wow, you're terrible. Um, and so he killed her. Um, he went back and divorced his wife finally, then he had her killed just to make sure. 
Um, shortly after this, he allegedly started a fire that destroyed most of Rome. He blamed Christians for it, which then led to the persecution and tortures of Christians. He was seen as corrupt. He was seen as compulsive. Have you heard words like that during this election describing the people who are running? Um, literally, there is nothing new under the sun. Um, who, trust me, whatever we think of these two candidates, somebody's, somebody's been there and done that before. Um, if God's word would call the Christians of the day who were already suffering under persecution to honor the emperor, not because he was worthy in his person of being honored, not because, um, not because the people thought that that was a good guy or even a decent guy. Um, he wasn't. He was, even when he was, even before he went like full on evil, he was still just kind of, you know, really self-indulgent. Um, he was never a model of, of godliness. Peter says, you honor him. We don't honor the emperor because he deserves it. Um, we honor him because God says he is the president. She is the president. You honor them because the president, whoever it may be, is entitled to our respect and honor. Um, I think we are really bad at this. Um, I think the last 16 years have shown us how really bad we can be at this. Uh, the, the, the hatred that the left had for George W. Bush was unmatched by anything I recall in politics. Now, I know, you go back 150 years ago, you should th see the things they wrote about Lincoln. I mean, yeah, we, I mean, we, it's been happening. But, but I said the vitriol that was directed at George W. Bush was unmatched by anything until Barack Obama became president. And then it just switched sides. But it's just, it's just horrible. It's horrible how little respect that we have, that we express for the people who, who lead this country. And after this election, it, the, the, in the name, it's just, it's, yeah, I can't imagine how much, it's like, I couldn't imagine it'd be worse. It's worse. There's a comedian who keeps talking about this election. They, he keeps pointing to, you see that spot way up there that we talked about last week? That was the, you know, when we hit rock bottom, rock bottom's way up there. And each week he just keeps getting lower and lower because it's, just, it's like, it can't get worse. Oh, it can get worse. Um, but that doesn't give us license to forget, uh, to, to forget our obligations and to respect whoever's in charge. Um, how do we honor and respect? Here's a couple things. First of all, pray. Um, pray for, it's really hard to hate somebody you're praying for. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2. First of all, then I urge supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. We pray. We should be praying. If Hillary Clinton is the president, I will pray for her. I will, and I won't pray for her, but God, I pray that you take Hillary Clinton home or wherever she's going today. No, that's not what we're going to do. We're going to pray for her good. We're going to pray for her health. I'm going to pray that she exercise wisdom. I'm going to pray that our nation prospers under her presidency. If Donald Trump does the thing, I'm going, I guess I don't want to pray for his health because he's the most healthy candidate who ever lived according to him, but I'm going to pray for him. I'm going to pray um, for his temperament. I'm going to pray um, that our country prospers under him. I'm going to pray um, that he exercised wisdom and mercy. I'm going to pray for him. I'm going to pray good for him. We are called to pray um, that we may lead peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in any way. Not just that that's the result of their rule. I think we pray for them so that we can remember I can be peaceful and quiet. I don't have to, I don't have to live in anger or worry or 
disdain for whoever's running this country or this state. Or I'll tell you, I used to work in local politics. I was in the prosecutor's office. I, you think it's like it's it's horrible at the top, but down at the bottom, it, it it seems so much horrible because it's literally so petty. It's just about it's like the tiniest little thing you could possibly think is that important. And yet, so so all the all the bickering is just tiny, minute, but it's still the same thing. It's still it's still people who don't like each other jockeying for position to run different positions. I mean, it's just so petty. It's 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 sad wherever it goes, but that doesn't matter. We still pray. We still seek good of those who run our country for peaceful and quiet lives, godly and dignified in any way. So we can pray. What else can we do? We can do good. We can do good things. Same passage in First Peter where he said, "Honor the emperor." Also says that our doing good puts to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Wow, there are a lot of foolish people um, who have a lot of things to say about this election. And there are times that we have been foolish. Um, I have said things uh, that, that I wish I hadn't said uh, about candidates because just, it's just real easy to get caught up in the moment. And, and sarcasm is my second language. And, you know, and so it's just really easy um, to, to do that. But when we do good, when we speak good, can you imagine going into a room full of Hillary Clinton supporters and saying, yeah, but I really hope that, that Donald Trump succeeds if he's elected. And they're just like, what? It, 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 it's dumbstruck. It, that was awful. But yeah, no, it puts to silence foolish people. We should speak respectfully about the president. It's not, to me, it's not just enough to pray for them and to think well of them, but we should speak respectfully about the president. We should be informed about issues. We should know what we're talking about. Um, we should wish the president well in his or her duties. And here's the thing. We've just come to a place in our country where it doesn't – literally, I, I think a, a Democrat can say, I have – this doctor here has found the cure for cancer guaranteed, and all we need is to give him $1 million from our budget. And I think the Republicans would go, I, I, we object to that um, because whatever you do, you – the other guy can't get credit. If it's their idea, it's horrible. If the Republicans came and say, we have a way to feed every human on earth, the Democrats would say, ah, we don't think that's true. Um, because we simply don't trust each other any, anymore. We, won't, we don't do good for each other anymore. We don't wish well. We don't even want to agree on the things that we could agree on. Um, that's doing good to say, hey, if, 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 if a, a, a government person I generally disagree with does good, we can say, that's good. We can acknowledge um, the good. Our hearts don't need to be hard towards somebody whom we disagree with, which leads me to my second point. What's the second way um, that we can live as if we trust God is that we're going to love those who we disagree with politically. We're gonna, we are called to love those whom we disagreed with politically. Um, this seems to be a new topic, but it really is, and it flows from what we're talking about, about respect for the government. Um, verses 8 through 10. Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Love, loving one another fulfills the law. Basically, the law of God, and the laws that he listed here, talks about um, adultery and murder and stealing and covet are all laws that address the way that we relate to other people. And what does God say? You know those laws about, about what, how you, what you owe to other people? Basically just love them. If you love them, you're doing all those things. So just love. Love your 
neighbors. Um, true biblical love satisfies God's commands as to how we are to live towards each other. Because love does what? No wrong. It says that, um, that love does no wrong to a neighbor. You might be thinking, who's my neighbor? Your neighbor is everyone. Um, the Bible says that. And just in case you had any question, Jesus also said to love our enemies. So if you want to say, well, that person can't be my neighbor because I disagree with them. No, they're your neighbor. So your neighbor is your neighbor, literally the person who lives next week. Your neighbor is people living in California or New York or Alabama or the Sudan or Syria, wherever. They're your neighbor. They're your neighbor. They're called, um, the Bible, God's word calls us um, to love everyone. Jesus told us um, to love everyone. So how do we do this with this election? And anyway, this is, this is I want us to submit to God. I want us to have respect to government. But I got to tell you, this is, where, this is where my true passion loves. How do we love each other in this election? How do we treat each other well? Because I feel like I've just, it just seems like I've witnessed, and I know I've been there, that we just haven't loved each other well or loved people who disagree with us well um, in election. Um, first, first thing I came up, and these don't necessarily flow directly out of the world, but they're applications of doing no harm. Have real, thoughtful conversations about political issues. Have real, thoughtful conversations about political issues. Facebook is an absolutely horrible way to share your political views. You cannot do the kind of analyzing of issues necessary to have a thoughtful conversation when you're using emojis and rhetorical questions like, what do you have to say about that? Huh? Facebook, po political posting on Facebook is basically trying to one-up um, the people that, that who are reading your things, which ironically are called your friends. Um, disrespectful political memes which we may think are clever, simply make us look hateful to those who disagree with us. That link to the article, which distorts the position of the person you disagree with, but makes your position look so good and reasonable, um, doesn't convince anybody who disagrees with you because you weren't fair to them by distorting their position to try to score points for your position. Um, it just makes people angry that you, re you refuse to understand their point of view. And trust me, try as I have, because this one I have done, traded comments back on forth on somebody's post explaining how right you are and how wrong they are really isn't going to change anybody's mind. It reminds me of the joke about wrestling a pig. I don't know if you've ever heard the joke about wrestling a pig. You're both going to get in the mud, but the pig's going to like it. Okay, it's just, it's, it doesn't do anything good for the person you're talking to. It doesn't do anything good for you. So um, the problem with our Facebook conversations about politics that we love our opinions more than we love other people. And that's sin. It's just sin. It's just selfishness and pride. Seriously. I, I, you know, I, I, I always like, you got to figure it out. Know, the Bible doesn't say don't post on Facebook, so it doesn't say on Facebook. But I'm, I just, just stop. Just please. Let's just stop. Let's just stop posting political stuff on Facebook. Let's stick to cat pictures and, and things like that. Let's, and, and, you know, let's just, please, let's stop, you know, let's stop. The people on Facebook are supposed to be our friends. Let's treat them that way. Do them the respect of having real conversations. I'm not saying don't, don't disagree with people, but have thoughtful conversations with them, real conversations with them. And as you do, second point under this, be kind and gentle to those you disagree with. 
political arguments are just the worst. You get so caught up in what you think and believe about political issues that you simply throw regard for the other person out the window. How do I know this? I know this because I've done this. I have had political conversations where I've had to go back to a person and ask their forgiveness. And I'm because because I after the conversation, I go back, I sit down, I'm like, why in the world would I do that to someone? Why? And I know I I, I know because I've heard people here make comments. Some of us would never think about apologizing for something you said about them. Some of you don't care if people are offended by what you have to say about politics. You think people being offended is their problem and not yours. God's word doesn't see it that way. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please who? I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they might be saved. The gospel itself is offensive to people. Telling people you're a sinner who needs salvation from a God, that's offensive. We don't need to add offense by going, and your views on this political decision are wrong too, okay? We don't need to add offense. We, don't, we, we are called not to offend because offending people over things that don't, anything but the gospel, anything that matters for eternity is a roadblock to, between them and eternity. He will not seek his own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Paul's willing to set aside whatever he finds offensive, he's willing to set it aside for the sake of relationship, for the sake of loving people. The problem in political argument is arrogance. I tend to notice that I think this looks different um, to me, I, and I know I've been on one side of this, and I know it at times that I, that this is true of me. Right-wing people, I think, their arrogance tends to be expressed by getting strident and like, and like, just that out of like outrage that the world could possibly go wrong. Whereas left-wing people tend to get smug and dismissive of the right wing. I believe the right thing. I'm better than you, and the right wing is like, "Don't you believe the wrong thing? And you're evil." Okay, it, I mean, it's it's just. But both are arrogance. All those, rela- all, all those reactions are arrogance. They should be repented of. Here's the truth. There are people on Tuesday, there are people in this room on Tuesday who are going to vote for Hillary Clinton. There are people all around us, there are people in this room who are going to vote for Donald Trump. If you care enough to talk to them about it, be respectful, be kind, be gentle, Listen, try to understand, and be humble enough to disagree with grace and love. Last point. Um, We live our lives as a testimony to the gospel regardless of who's elected. If we believe that God is sovereign, we're going to live our lives as a testimony to the gospel regardless of whether it's Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton who's the president on, on, on Tuesday night. Remember, first of all, remember that this life and therefore this election is not all that there is. We can, we can live our lives in a manner that shows, okay, I'm not going to get crazy about this election because, you know what, this election is not everything. Verses 11 and the first part of 12. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. Paul's talking about here about the anticipation of the return of Jesus to establish his reign on earth. 
The point he is making that our time on earth is short. Um, the Bible says it's like a vapor or a breath. That's it. In light of eternity, this world matters for this long. I can't make it smaller. There's still stuff. It's, it, it matters for that long. We shouldn't live this part in a manner that suggests this part isn't going to matter. Salvation is near. Our glorification, our, our, our time when, when for those in Christ, our salvation will be fully revealed. He's not talking about people being saved, but he's talking about people being, our, our, our salvation being fully revealed, fully realized. We are, we, we are in heaven, the new heavens and new earth, glorified. No more sin, no more death, no more tears. That's how we live now. We, ha- we live now knowing that that is coming, knowing that however bad either of these people mess this country up, if they mess this country up, but however bad it happens, it's, it's done, and then Jesus. Because this is not all that there is, we don't live as though it is and treat our politics as if they were the most important thing in the world. To extent our candidate wins. Let's say the person we were going to vote for wins. Yay. Yay. Okay. Um, Or that the policies we support get enacted. What's coming is so much better and so much perfect than whatever we can figure out politically on earth. Psalm 146 um, says this. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Whatever the government does, it is fleeting. It, is, it could be good. It could be helpful. And in the end, it will go away. But, but Christ will live forever. Don't devote yourself to that instead of that. If our candidate loses and the worst possible things we think can happen. I remember talking to somebody prior to the previous election. They go, what's the worst thing? Okay, Barack Obama wins. What's the worst thing that happened? And they said something bad. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. That never happened. And then we get it years later. I'm like, well, I actually didn't see that kind of happening. Okay. So, yeah, it, got, it could be bad. There, there are good things that happen. There are bad things that happen. Um, even, but even if you imagine, basically, either candidate gets elected, there's a, there's a reliable case that World War III is not far behind. I mean, both of them have said things that could make you think that. It's a thing that could happen. We all get blown up and it's done. Okay. Eternity, okay? <laughs> if, and that, that happens because God is in control. He is our vindication. Our policies don't get enacted. That's okay. God is going to set it right. God is going to judge the wicked. God is going to be... Um, our, quote, vengeance. He will set everything right. Um, Romans 8 says this, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, and hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That day is coming. He will set it right. It's only for a season. Now, it, it, you know, that it could be bad. I'm not saying we don't fight about it. We fight over what bad. Um, I'm going to get there in a second, but, um, but, but he's going to set it right. Live as if that's true. Talk about politics. Live your life in light of politics, knowing that's true. He's in control. Second, live as if Christ and not the world controls us. Um, second part of 12 um, says, so let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. Um, we are to live lives that properly reflect the Christ that we follow. 
we commit ourselves, first thing here, and the one that obviously jumps out, we commit ourselves to personal holiness. We avoid sins like those mentions here, sins of indulgence, like partying and drunkenness, sins of sexual immorality, sins of fighting and jealousy, basically sins that serve us instead of serving other people. Because so much of the political process is everyone fighting to get what they want. Let's be honest, that's, that's really... That, that's really at the end what, what most people are talking about. Lobbyists and interest group and voters are all asking, what's in it for me? Um, by living as we don't, it's like, well, it's not what about what's in it for me. It's about how I serve him. We set a stark example because we don't live to serve ourselves. We don't live to serve our appetites. We don't live in a way that says, what's in it for me? But to serve the God who loves them and the Christ who saved us by dying for us. Now, so th this means we live properly. Now, this will also mean there will be times that we will take a stand. First of all, we should use our freedom. We I've talked about, like, don't offend anybody. You know, I've been talking about don't, don't speak out. I'm not saying don't speak out. I'm not saying you're not going to say things that aren't going to bother people. There are times that we have to. Um, we should use the freedom that we have in this country. We, we still do, at least for now. We still have the freedom to speak. We still have the freedom to say, government, you are doing things wrong. And, we, and, and I'd say we have the freedom to speak out about things that God cares about. We don't do it to fulfill our desires or to preserve our own rights. We're way too concerned about our rights. Um, but we should instead be concerned about what is right um, for the sake of our country and for the neighbors. We have an example. In, in the Acts, uh, prior to Ephesians, we preached the word of Acts in like the last eight chapters or so. We're all about this process where Paul asserted his rights. He says, you accuse me, I'm a Roman citizen, I'm exercising my rights, I have a right to speak. And then he took that right to speak, and who did he talk about? Did he talk about Paul? He, well, he, a little bit, because only to get to the point where he wanted to talk about it, he wanted to talk about Jesus. Um, he, he, he used his rights to speak about what is right. We can do that. We should do that. There are, if what the government is doing wrong, we can speak, and we should use our right. There will also come times that the law may compel us to act against what God has said. At that point, we stand against the authority, and we say no. If, if, if the authority says, um, do this, and you say, and God says, don't do that, then we don't. I mean, we may suffer a consequence. Okay. I can submit to the law, not by obeying an unjust law, but by accepting the consequence that comes from that law. That's still, um, that's still obeying. Um, Acts 4, Peter and John refused to stop speaking or teaching about Jesus. The Lord says, don't do it. I'm like, hey, can't do that. I'm sorry. That's, God says, man says not to, God says to, we're going to. Daniel, Daniel, Daniel's a man who surrendered his rights. Um, it's kind of a point that we miss in the Bible, but Daniel's, the person in charge of Daniel in, in the government in Babylonia, for those who don't know, Daniel was part of the captives um, of Israel in Babylonia, and he was a servant of the king. Um, but we, we kind of overlook the fact that um, that the person in charge of him was called the head of the eunuchs, which means that Daniel was a eunuch, which means that Daniel castrated and didn't find that a reason, by the government, by the people, the, the kings would want passive people, and he didn't find that a reason to object to the government because it wasn't about him. The government says bow to the king and you're not allowed to pray to your God and the unjust man will come after you. It wasn't about his rights. It was about what was right. When that happens, that's when we disobey. Not because it makes our life easier to disobey. Not because it makes um, us feel better to disobey. But because God said, you can't do that. 
then annoy them. It's not inconsistent with the passage. Verse 3 says we are to do what is good. Verse 5 requires subjection for the sake of our conscience. Our conscience should permit the government to utilize us. Our consciences should allow the government to even take advantage of us. But the government cannot permit us to act against our God. On the very, I keep saying the very last thing. This is the very last thing. We, the last way in which we live this out is the very last portion of our passage here. It tells us that we live out our identity in Christ. That we, we show that we trust in God, that we live go by living out our identity in Christ. The very last thing Paul says is put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put him on like clothing. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. We think of ourselves as citizens in the United States, but our ultimate citizenship is not here. It is in God's kingdom. Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven, from it we await a Savior. So as we, as we love God, we remember who we are in Christ. We are loved by the Lord of the universe. We are saved from our sin by the death of Jesus Christ. We are made new creations by his Holy Spirit dwelling in us. So, so we live that out. We live that out by seeking to believe things that he believes. We commit too much of our beliefs to this world. We commit too much of our beliefs to a political party. Um, basically, we think, I'm a Christian, and I'm a Republican, so Christians are Republicans. Um, or Democrats are merciful, and God is merciful, so I'm a Democrat. Here's the thing. If you're a Democrat, God's word says things that, that should shape what we believe that are contrary to the typical party positions of the people you vote for, like sexual immorality and abortion and the need for people to be hardworking and industrious. If you're a Republican, God's word says things that should shape what we believe that are contrary to your typical party positions on things like racism and fighting poverty and corporate greed and caring for immigrants and refugees. We don't let a political party or talk radio or MSNBC or Fox News define what we believe. As a child of God, we let God define what we believe. And we let God decide what we are willing to sacrifice as he sacrificed for us. Many people in this country claim to follow Christ are actually not following Christ. They're following some kind of patriotic American civil religion that talks about God but seeks to serve self above all. The rugged individualist, um, the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is the American gospel. But the real gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, tells us to lay our down our lives. Whoever loses his life for Christ's sake will find it, I believe. Um, it tells us to surrender our liberty and become a servant. Only in giving up our rights to control our own lives do we experience real freedom. It tells us that opposed to happiness, we find joy when we face trials. We are blessed when we are insulted for the name of Christ, and we glorify Christ when we suffer for him. That is not American civil religion. That is the gospel. Because our identity is in Christ, we should think how he thinks, and we should sacrifice as he sacrificed. So, whether you support Hillary Clinton, or Donald Trump, or Gary Johnson, or Lanny, my daughter this afternoon, I kept telling her I was going to vote for her today, so. Whoever you support, remember this. Whatever happens on Tuesday night, God is not surprised. Our next president is God's choice for president to carry out God's good purpose, whatever that may be. Because we can trust in God, we can trust in him and live out who he has made us to be. Submitting to proper authority, loving those with whom we disagree, and remembering our identity in Christ. Regardless of who we vote for, let's be faithful 
your hand in response to this. Let's pray. Father,